0: Time, wrong place, mistakes, cold case, now a chase, no brace, unsafe is the faith in the faith, it's a cold case, it's a cold, cold case, you're as sick as your secrets and I can't conceal and so deep.
1: Welcome to Cold Case MHS, where real education meets real life. I'm your host Randy Hubbard, an instructor of Cold Case MHS, with my co-host Ashlyn, and we thank you for listening. So welcome back to the Cold Case MHS. One of the things that I wanted to do coming into this next year is bring back some of our alumni who have taken the class. To see what their perspective
2: was on the class, our guest is Matthew Poteet. Hello, I am Matthew Poteet. I graduated in 2020, took the class in the years of 2019 and 2020, and I am excited to be back. So when you first heard about a cold
1: case class, and I'm gonna be honest, Matthew's one of the ones that when I came up with the idea, kind of went to him right away and said, hey, if I do this, you're going to be in the class, right? And kind of
2: twisted his arm just a bit. I wanted to know, what did you think about it when you heard that we were going to have a class like this? Well, my first thought was, absolutely, yeah, let's do it. I thought it was a really great idea, obviously, with, with my background and my dad being in the police force. That, that first year in forensics was a blast for me, he and I bonded really well, and... You know that I have a passion for this kind of stuff so when you brought it up what a way to to go out your senior year to start something new for the school when when the idea came up and was brought up to me I was all for it and I was excited to to start something I thought was going to last a while here at MHS and it looks like it has.
1: I have a hard time calling it a class because I don't really think it's a class I don't stand up and lecture and do all that kind of stuff uh, I think it's more of an experience.
2: And coming into it You and I had talked about how it's not really going to be a class. Yes, by school rules you have to get a grade at the end of the year, but that's never what matters. I mean, if you show up and you do the work, it's truly about the experience, like you said. And Not a lot of high schools have been able to do something that we're doing. Here at MHS, especially with this class, you're going to learn life lessons. My experience coming into the class that first semester when we were just investigating really really old popular cold cases that was just kind of our first you know experience with cold cases getting our our feet under us getting a good foundation as to what we're going to be doing and that that first semester was really eye-opening even from from that first semester you started building those those skills of talking to people in real life those that idea that there's there's life outside of school, there's life outside of high school, outside of the city that you live in for most of your life, usually. It was a really cool experience. I mean, we made that connection to um, Angeline Hartman from Inside Crime. She's on national television doing national news on this stuff, and she connected with us. We were working on a case together. You don't get that kind of experience anywhere else besides somewhere like this, so being able to... To be in a high school classroom, but be doing stuff out in the real world at the same time, talking to real people who know nothing about you, nothing about what you're doing until you tell them about it. It's it's a weird high school experience that is going to mature you quickly and build life skills that are going to last you a lifetime. I know one of the things that Matthews group did is they were able to talk to a
1: lot of experts, but even talk to an FBI agent. In his experience was one where you got to speak to a lot of people in the field. That, to me, was a very big learning experience. One of the big things that I think I I want people to get out of this class, though, is that you're talking about real life, real families, real trauma.
2: How did that affect you? When we started getting into our case, the, the case of Karen Spencer, that's when things started to get personal and emotional. That one hit close to home for me because my dad actually went to high school with Karen Spencer. Speaking to, I mean, we we got in contact with the FBI agent, which was super, super cool. Got to speak with Detective Bischoff from the Newtown Police Department. That was personal connection from me. But we also got to talk to Karen Spencer's parents, Karen Spencer's friends, Karen Spencer's siblings. Like, everyone that was blood or as close to blood as you can get to her that knew her inside and out. You got to talk to them and understand their raw emotion and the effects that it had on them personally. And you can't help but sit there and feel for them and feel some of what they're feeling. You're never going to feel exactly what they feel. Even if the same thing happens to you, you're going to feel different than they do about their situation. But being able to talk to them, the things they said, how they say things, the emotion you can hear all over the phone, the emotion you can see on their face if you're on a Zoom call or a FaceTime call, like I said, you can't help but sit there, and not feel for them, and want to do as much as you possibly can to help them in any way, shape, or form. Even though, when you go into these things, there's a 99.9% chance you are going to come no closer than the police did originally to finding whoever did this horrible act. But just the fact that you are there trying to help them, and if you can find any small amount of new information that can lead anybody else down the right path, they're thankful. One of the things that I also wanted to do is
1: have our alumni answer questions from someone that's going to come into the class. And those of you that have listened to our podcast, Ashlyn, my co-host, is coming into the class this year. I was going to have you ask him some questions about what you you think you need for this class, what you should expect. Thanks.
3: Okay, putting me on the spot, but I guess just kind of like thinking it through, I just wanted to ask personally what was like a day in the life of the class because I know it's different now obviously you were talking about it before How? I mean you've changed the fabric of the class over the years anyways but what was your experience
2: a day in the life gosh we I was early in the morning so you came in and kind of started to wake up had your coffee and you're like all right gotta get gotta get my brain moving but those first couple days you know you're, you're getting your feet under you but once you get going you come in you and your group usually just hit the ground running. You guys know each other by now. You're in your group. You know how each other works. You know what each other is doing. So you walk in, and there's normally not a whole lot of talking that happens. It is usually just you hear keyboards or you hear paper shuffling. You really just get down to work. And, you know, he might have something to say here and there. He might have announcements. He might be something else going on. He might talk to another group about what they're doing because they need your help. But really it is, you come in and you get to work and if something comes up, you get to talk about it with your group. If nothing comes up that day at all and you sit there silently searching the internet for an hour and a half the entire day, that's still a productive day because you were doing something that you were trying your best. There are other days where you come in and you are excited because you get to call someone very important to this case that is probably going to give you some cool information that you haven't learned yet. You get to have that phone call and afterwards you come back in, you get to share all the information that you learned with him, you guide, and then you start I and mean, you are typing as fast as you possibly can on your computer. New ideas, new information. By the time you're a fourth of the way through everything that you're thinking that Bell is ringing, and you gotta go to your next class. It's, it's a rush some days and it is slow some days, but ultimately the entire experience on a day-to-day basis is a really really nice break from your regular high school day but it's also one of the most exciting parts of your day because you know that you get to go do something you love and even if it is slow, even if it, you haven't found the information in a week that feeling of this could be the day keeps you going the whole time
3: Well, well I wasn't expecting that much of an answer, I don't even know what to say back to that I know we were talking about life experiences before and how you were saying you got a lot out of the class things that you can use Outside, outside world kind of stuff. What are skills that you took away from the class that you weren't
4: expecting to?
2: I'm sure you've run into this before. I'm sure you've dealt with other people that have this fear. If you have a dentist appointment and you got to cancel, and your parents look at you and say, call and cancel, (sighs) you sit there and put it off for days before you actually have to call and cancel because it's a day before your appointment and everyone's going to be mad at you. Having to call someone. That, is, that has a badge, that has security clearance, that has someone in their life that has tragically passed away before, that's terrifying when that phone is ringing. Being able to just pick up a phone nowadays and call someone and talk to them or get the information that you need out of them or give them information that they didn't know they needed, is an amazing skill. Calling people being able to hear their voice and let them hear your voice is a skill that is lost in my opinion. This class is going to force you to do that. You have to call them. That is honestly the biggest life skill that I learned throughout this. That's kind of the idea behind this is that you get out of it what you put into it. One thing
1: that I agree with is that we have lost that ability to communicate. The whole premise of this case was based on the fact that Evan Fletcher and I had to do that. And we had never done it before either. Um, Now I have called people to do that, but not in this situation. So it is, it is scary. All they can do is tell you no. Well I appreciate this and we do have a story that we're going to get into.
5: What my sister was to me, uh, she was the oldest. Uh, I'm the youngest of five. She was the oldest, so she was, uh, and my mother was a single mother at the time, so she was more of a parent figure in my life. She was great as far as I'm concerned. I
6: only knew her for a fraction of my life. I really would like to know what she would be like today. To me, my sister was, she was a big influence on me. She was, um, she's, really open-minded for she was way ahead of her time like very progressive it kind of molded a lot of my views in my life like i said very open-minded She was responsible for um you know she was actually you know typical young adult did screwed up things here and there but uh she's very responsible looked out for her family was compensating for you know lack of our father figure she took. Uh, she paid for karate lessons for Paul. She was always trying to pay for like art lessons for me. She was trying to be nurturing, and she was very into art and music. Very kind-hearted, uh, loving. Was friends with everybody. I could say she was protective of us, and all that stuff you hear about her is not hyperbole. It's all one hundred percent true.
1: Those are the voices of three brothers who lost their role model way too early. They have been robbed of memories they never were able to create with their beloved sister Liz. Her free spirit was released from its earthly bonds as she rode her bike into the shadows of that dark, foggy night.
0: It's a cold case. It's a cold, cold case.
7: It's the early 90s, and life was about having a good time and hanging out with family. As it was the height of cultural dance, clubs were very popular, and it's considered the decade of pop culture, peace, and prosperity. For Elizabeth Falco, these made up her life. She was an advocate for women's rights in supporting her brother's educations. Elizabeth Falco had plans to
4: go out with her brother and some mutual friends to the bank nightclub on September 14, 1990. Later that night, Liz was last seen leaving the bank on her bike. Two months later, on November 14, 1990, a man walking his dog came across Liz's body in the Tinicum Marsh next to the Philadelphia airport. Liz was born June 12, 1965 in Syracuse, New York. Her family later made their home in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, where she graduated high school. Everyone who knew Liz described her as an extremely compassionate and caring woman. Throughout her life, she showed people that she would do anything for those she cared about.
7: After graduating high school, she spent time in New York City. She moved to Philadelphia to pursue her education at the local college. While attending the university, she worked as a secretary at Dickton Horn Law Firm. In her personal life, she had many friends. She was known for being trusting and seeing the best in people. At the time, she was dating Chris Bender. They had moved in together along with two other friends. She spent weekends going to whatever club was popular at the time.
4: Our help was sought out by one of her childhood friends. After more than 30 years of her case being open without movement, she was searching for alternative routes of investigation. She sent out newspapers and the autopsy report.
3: I think that things like this are what makes this class so important and so valuable because obviously her friend was looking for ways to get the story out and I think that this class and this podcast being a new experience that gets out to a wider variety of people true crime podcast listeners, which is obviously a huge group of people. I think it's just really important that we're there to get the information out in a different way. Also, it's really important to think about how her as a friend, that information that she's trying to get out, it's invaluable to bring up these cases again, to get them to the forefront of people's minds again. Because like it was talked about later, police departments get busy, people, things get overlooked, medical examiners, they have so much to do. So I think that it's really important to bring up these old cases and bring them back to people's minds.
7: Newspapers noted how she took care of her brothers. We did our own initial research over who she was, and we found that she was a confident young woman whose life was taken far too early.
4: Liz would save up money to pay for her brother's education as she worked at a secretary at the law firm. She was kind-hearted and determined.
7: One of the main reasons cases like these go cold is because they go overlooked. Police departments become overwhelmed with crime in the area, and the unsolved homicide of Elizabeth is the result of this. The autopsy
4: report stated that the cause of death was inconclusive. She was found by a man simply walking his dog in the marsh. Her body was covered by a green plastic bag. The only thing she was wearing were her t-shirt, which was pulled over her head, and socks and shoes. The report noted that she had strangulation marks. Unfortunately, at the time she was found, her body had decayed to a point where it was difficult to determine the cause of death.
1: So from the location of her body being in a marsh, being somewhere just outside the city, the clothing that was on her body, and the fact that she was covered up by a plastic bag, what does that tell you a little bit about our killer?
3: I think just right off the bat, information-wise, uh, we can say that like the intent of the killer was to not have her be found because me and Mr. Harper were unfamiliar with what a marsh was. I mean, my idea of it was not what it is at all. So uh, we kind of researched more into that, and basically in simple terms, it's just a grassy area with a bunch of water. This place in specific had a boardwalk going through it, I'd say. It's like a pathway, it was just wood. But from there you could see how vast the area actually was we didn't really have information on where exactly her body was found. We just knew it was found there just based on like what the location looked like. You could say that obviously she wasn't intended to be found or her killer was experienced enough to know that this area would be hard to find her because they did say that she was extremely decomposed when they did find her, which means that she was out there for a while. We could also say that it was personal, just, based on the way she was found. Also, she was sexually assaulted based on the way her clothes were found.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely think it was personal based on you know her shirt being pulled over her face like that. When a personal murder is committed like this, the aftermath, the, the killer looking at the victim, usually doesn't like the, the initial thought of what they just did. So in order to cope with that, no, you know, turning the body over or putting something over their face, it makes it less personal to them. Her not having many clothes on as well does suggest sexual assault. At the very least, it suggests a struggle or that the killer knew what they were doing enough to remove enough clothes to remove evidence. Like you said, where she was found, she definitely didn't want to, uh, to have the body found whoever did this. I don't know if we have gotten to the part where it says that it was suggested that she was strangled, but the, the mode of killing someone by strangulation is almost always perfect.
1: And I would say one thing that's strange to me is the garbage bag. Yes, the crime itself does seem personal, but the garbage bag almost makes me want to think that they did that on purpose to kind of embarrass her as if she was a piece of garbage, which I think is a shame.
7: As medical examiners are overworked and overwhelmed, it results in situations like Elizabeth's. The reports note that they had lost a bone in processing.
4: How does that even happen?
7: As I said, it must have been because Philadelphia at the time had a record high of 500 homicides, meaning that the ME must have had loads of other cases. They were trying to process many other cases at the same time, and things end up missing, though it shouldn't have happened.
1: So one of the big things that we talk about in forensic science is this particular situation. The M.E., even though they might be busy and they have a lot of cases, they really have to focus on all the evidence that they collect from the body. And in this particular case, they said they lost one. Why is that such a problem and what are they supposed to do to make sure that doesn't happen?
3: So basically what they're supposed to do is they keep a document and it's called a chain of custody, which basically tells who took what, when they took it, why they took it, what they learned from it. Um, It's supposed to just kind of keep track of the important information and evidence. And obviously that was overlooked in this situation because losing something obviously means that it wasn't documented.
2: Why is that so important? Obviously so that you don't lose stuff. Knowing who had something last whenever it had gone missing, that means that either they misplaced it and it is on them, or someone didn't fill out a form and took it without telling anyone. And a big thing is if they do find a suspect
1: that's one of the first things the defense team's going to look at is what happened to the chain of custody and where did this piece of evidence go because if that one's lost what do we really know about the other piece
4: we talked to the friend who shared the case with us hopeful that someone would be able to further the case along since she had contacted cold case services
7: She told us about Elizabeth's life at the time of her passing. Her boyfriend, Chris Bender, who has since passed, seemed to place her in the wrong crowd. Bender was much older than Elizabeth. While she was working to support her siblings in any way she could, Bender was a supposed professional skateboarder. Elizabeth was
4: responsible, but at the time of her passing, she had been influenced into doing drugs such as cocaine. She was hanging out with the friends of her boyfriend.
3: Okay,
1: so this is as a parent when you talk to your kids about... You gotta be careful who you hang with, even when you get older. And Chris seems to be somebody that was probably not in the best interest of this.
3: I mean, the fact that his career is being a skateboarder, I mean, as much as like now in modern times, that could be wonderful, but like you have to think about the time period here, and like that wasn't really considered a career. And also we were thinking about, since it's not considered a career, how is he making the money to support this drug habit that he has? So, I mean, we theorized that Liz is obviously a successful woman working at a law firm. So we just kind of theorized that maybe Liz is there as a support system for him to support his drug habit, a.k.a. using her money to kind of feed into buying and stuff like
7: that. There was one man that was also much older than elizabeth he went by an alias and was noted as suspicious by her friend she also mentioned that the last time elizabeth was seen was riding her bike down the street early in the morning
4: we needed to know more about this story so we searched for her family surprisingly there is a plethora of falcos in the new jersey area
7: we eventually found them through social media and reached out to the eldest brother mike falco
4: He told us a large part of the story we had been missing, that he was supposed to go out with Elizabeth that night, that this was a weekly thing. They went to whatever club was popular at the time. However, that particular night he had fallen asleep. He didn't go to the bank nightclub the night he went missing.
1: Quote, On this date 30 years ago, I last saw my sister Liz. It was a normal Thursday afternoon. She lived in Philly, but was at the family home for a bit that day. We made plans to meet at the bank nightclub later that night. I ended up falling asleep and did not meet her like we had planned, which had happened on other occasions, so it was no biggie. Well that time it was a biggie. I am not blaming myself for anything, but I often wonder if things might be different if I did meet her that night as planned. No one had seen, heard, or been in any contact with her for a couple of days, which was extremely rare. It became excruciating as the days turned into weeks, then into months. After that amount of time, it appeared she was not coming back. Her body was discovered, confirming what no one wanted to believe. She was not coming back. Everyone just hoped that she'd just show up or be on the other line when you picked up a phone call, but unfortunately, she was gone. Anyone who knew Liz would tell you how sweet, smart, pretty, kind, and caring of a person she was. I miss her dearly, and wish she was here now. Mom would be so happy to have her here, and I know my brothers have the same feeling I do for Liz. She would have been the best aunt to her nieces and nephews, I'm sure the cool aunt, making sure she was a big part of their lives, loving them, spoiling them, but more importantly, teaching them caring and goodness towards others. They would love having her with them, but probably not as much as she would have wanted to be there for them. I honestly think many people's lives would be different in a good way if Liz was still here. Many other people would still be here if she was. The pain today is as fresh as the day she was taken from us 30 years ago. I love and miss you dearly, Liz.
7: Talking to him, we found out that in the original investigation, it was suspected that Elizabeth was on her way to visit her cocaine dealer the night she went missing.
4: The idea was that her dealer had wanted something other than money in return. She refused, and in the heat of the moment, her dealer had killed her. Her boyfriend may have been involved in disposing her body in the marsh.
7: The police had originally investigated the boyfriend, and so did we.
4: We asked the eldest brother if we could set up a meeting with the rest of Elizabeth's siblings. We think it's important to understand how everybody feels about the case and what they know from it. Elizabeth's youngest brother was 13, and the others were not much older than that. They unfortunately didn't get to experience growing up with her and having her involved in their lives as much as they should have.
7: But what they do remember is how caring she was, how she loved to dance and listen to music, how she always did what she wanted, and how she would stand up for what she believed in.
4: Her brothers had known about Chris Bender. He was much older than Elizabeth. The eldest saw him as a wannabe cool guy. He had Elizabeth involved in drugs, but she was responsible and never became an addict. She knew that she had to save her money for more important things like taking
7: care of her younger brothers. Bender was the type of guy that was just always there. The relationship wasn't the strongest, but it also wasn't on the brink of ending. They were living together, but it just so happens that they were. The situation was more of Elizabeth living with a couple of other friends.
4: After Elizabeth's death, Bender went on to become an addict and abuse narcotics. He was known for doing drugs and wandering the streets at night.
2: So the unusual thing that I heard in there was that she, she did drugs, but was responsible enough not to be an addict. Usually, when, when people do drugs, it is just common knowledge that they are a drug addict. It's never really heard of that you, you do drugs, but you're not an addict. Why was she doing the drugs in the first place? Was it trying to fit in? Was it something else personal, health-related? Was there money behind it? You know, what was it? What was her reason?
3: So that just kind of goes back to Liz's relationship with Chris. Obviously, like, her friend group included him. So we just kind of theorized that the whole friend group was just, like, they hung out and they did drugs. Like, they partied. We thought that maybe while Liz was alive, she kind of watched over Chris and watched over his drug use and kind of, like, kept him from going overboard on his drugs and so once she passed he just kind of fell off the deep end fell into the drugs and just didn't turn back
4: this unfortunately got him killed a few years ago walking through an expressway bender had been hit by an off-duty police officer
7: after speaking with the rest of her brothers we agreed that chris was not solely responsible for her death
4: In hopes of gaining information from the original investigation, we attempted to file a FOIA. Most cases we work on in the course attempt to do so, but for us, it was a bit more complicated.
7: The state of Pennsylvania is different from most states. One cannot directly file a FOIA with a specific police department. Instead, there are many other laws to help the public gain access to such information. Through research, we found the right-to-know law. They
4: also have many forms to gain access to a police incident report, so we submitted as many as we could so that we could have a chance to look at the work the original detectives did on the case.
7: Unfortunately, we were denied anything by the state of Pennsylvania. Since we are not next to kin, a lawyer speaking on their behalf, or anything of the sorts, they have the right to deny our request.
4: This is why we spoke to Elizabeth's siblings. We explained the process of what we did and what they can do.
7: Since they are directly related to her, they should be able to see the work the detectives have done on the case and the work they have done in the past 30 years.
1: So in this section, you hear them talk about a FOIA request. We've talked about that in almost all of our podcasts because that's one of the ways that we get our information, and that's the Freedom of Information Act. What's the unfortunate part about this is that FOIAs are different in every state, and that can cause some serious problems when you're trying to find information.
4: Yeah, I
3: think especially on this one, uh, we were just talking to Mr. Hubbard about it. He says, like, you have to get a lawyer and there's a bunch of these steps. And it just feels like the way that it was set up, it was just inconvenienced the person that's asking to kind of, like, try to avoid it. So, I mean, it feels like they're doing it on purpose. They're obviously not because the information that you are requesting is private But just the way that it's set up, especially in the state that we're requesting from, it just feels like such an inconvenience that it's not even worth, it's not worth the process.
2: I think the biggest thing is that there are not enough people like us trying to do their best to help. Um, A lot of people, I would imagine, that submit FOIAs to to police departments and agencies like this are just trying to get information out of them. Ultimately, you can see why that would be a security concern.
4: We attempted to contact the original detectives from the case. Her friend that introduced the case to us sent us his card that she received years ago. We found that one of them works for the security at a university and the other works for the Philadelphia Police
7: Department. We are still working on getting in contact with them. Before they found her body, family and friends had put up posters with the $2,000 cash reward with any verified information that leads to them finding Elizabeth. They were hopeful that she just happened to disappear, but after she missed her youngest brother's birthday, the family knew something was wrong.
4: Without Elizabeth, her mother had to hold her family together. She lost her job at Sears because she was in distress after losing her daughter. A support group for murder victims' families helped their situation a little, but it was still difficult for her to believe that her daughter was gone.
1: So this is the unfortunate part about all these cases. Many people, when they listen to these crime scene stories and things you hear on podcasts, they think that the victim of the crime is the only one that's affected by it. When in reality, there are many victims that go along with this, thing, especially family members who were depending on somebody like Liz to help them get through their financial problems, take care of a family that really needed that figure in their family.
2: Yeah, I think this is a great example of What I had touched on early on in our conversation of you get that real-world experience of seeing and hearing and feeling that raw emotion that comes from these families.
1: The interview we had with Paul, John, and Mike Falco really made this case hit home for us. We try hard to understand how families feel in these situations, but unless you lived it, there's just no way you understand. You just feel their emotions, but sometimes you just don't know what to say because you know it's not going to make them feel any better. During our conversation with Liz's brothers, a reporter for the New Jersey Penn and a friend of the family, Matt Scophalis, asked the brothers how they felt about talking with us and how it's affected their lives since her passing.
8: taco guys, um, do you have thoughts on just what this means to you to, to be going through this again? I mean, I... You, you lose a sibling; you never that never leaves your heart. It never leaves your mind. And certainly, growing up is different, and, and adulthood is different. But what what are what kinds of feelings are you processing being involved in this again?
5: Um, my feelings have changed over time. It actually gotten worse. I've gotten more angry. I think, um, especially now that I have two girls. Um, but the thing that I always felt. The only thing I could ever do was try to take a positive away from it, and that was to basically just love life and love everything. Um, I still hold that, but it gets tougher and tougher. I feel that I grow more coarse over the years as a resentment because of it, um, and I'm not saying whether this is right or wrong. Just ask the question. I'm just being honest.
8: I think you're great. Yeah. Do you feel like, like this would help you? If it like, is it that important to you? Like, if it got, do you feel like it would change some of those feelings you might have? If, if it clo- if there was closure, yes,
5: would yeah. I would it would almost be a faith restored in humanity type uh, feeling, I guess. No um, pressure, girls. Well, no, I mean, you know what? You being women actually plays into it for me. That's one reason why I asked that question. Is it so lopsided? You know, here you are. You know, Liz would be, she would be, I know this sounds silly, but she would be happier that two women would solve the case than two men, you know? And she probably wouldn't matter either way. But the point is, is that, you know, that's what she fought for. She was very passionate about it. And even today, you see why she was passionate about it. She wasn't out of her time and she knew damn well where this was going, where it has been, right? And it just seems like we're in the same place Today, So, yeah, I think, Matt, if there was some movement or some type of closure, it would be great to have my mother witness that before she passes. Um, it doesn't, you know, fix everything in our lives, but it does kind of put us a, 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 to where we can grasp and it's obtainable. Our minds don't have to wander in a certain direction of what could have been or what would have been. We would know how to we'd have something tangible to deal with
6: process of this yeah sorry i'm um, sorry for, was me, Thank you. for me um i just have always had right from what happened like guilt like i wasn't out fucking pounding this excuse my language um i wasn't out like pounding the pavement getting leads and you know like i feel like there's more that i could have done and there is i mean there always is but uh I just have lived with guilt my whole life from it, so um, it would help alleviate some of that. Um, kind of to John's point
8: about guilt, you know, I, I was I was supposed to be out with her that night that she disappeared. We were supposed to go dancing. We were supposed to meet up at the bank, and I fell asleep that night. Um Yeah, you know, so I, I don't, I don't, I'm not blaming myself. Um, if something bad was going to happen, I'm sure but it still happened. Um, but I just always wonder if, you know, if, if I'd gone out with her that night, if something would have been different, if something uh, would have wouldn't have happened. Um, you yeah, know, that's been, I don't blame myself, but it's just been very hard with that thought in my mind. Um, and it's gone on for so long. It's not that we just all accepted it and, you know, let it go. You know, we, we think of her every day. Um, But without the support um, to get things going, it's just um, more destructive trying to fight to get truth and not get anywhere than to just um, kind of accept it for what it is and and hope at some point something's going to happen. Uh, And and hopefully we're we're at this point where something might happen, or even like Paul said, even if we don't. If it's not so, if we don't get full closure, um, we know that we're doing what we can um, t- you know to help help everyone involved you know, not only the victim but everyone who feels for her
6: and's been affected by her life. I mean it's it's a positive there's a positive aspect to it no matter what that. Just the fact that you guys care is like is... is uh, makes me feel good.
8: And like we keep saying, she would just be so happy knowing that she's helping you girls out with your education and your lives through her death you know that you know she could care less if it gets solved but you guys are gaining from her loss um
1: as you hear the brothers talk about how we would bring some closure to the family if we or someone could solve liz's case it sometimes really hurts to know that maybe we're not going to be able to do that Our goal is that maybe our participation in the search for truth will hit the ears of someone who could give that information that will turn the tide in the Falco's favor.
7: Elizabeth was a kind person with a soft heart. She would speak about wanting to become a therapist or a lawyer. She knew her purpose in life was to help people.
4: From a report from an interview with her mother, she remembered that though Elizabeth wasn't financially stable, she took her youngest brother's school supply shopping. Two weeks later, she was gone.
7: Family and friends have done as much as they can to figure out what happened to Elizabeth. For them, Elizabeth was everything. She was the older sister, mom's favorite, and best friend. They were desperately hoping that anyone will help them solve her case. As their mother approaches 80, they would like to give her some closure.
4: Her brothers are hopeful that her work will aid the Philadelphia Police Department in furthering their investigation into Elizabeth's case.
3: Cases like this are extremely difficult because she randomly disappeared and she was found in a public area but a secluded one. Unfortunately, we have a vague outline of what actually happened that night and who exactly she came in contact with. After 32 years in a large city with a large crime rate, her cases fall into the darkness of a file cabinet somewhere. We hope that sharing this information on our platform can bring information to the forefront and possibly get our case back on the radar of the police department.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cold Case MHS, Monsters and Demons, Freed Spirit. I would like to thank Mike, Paul, and John Falco for allowing us to get to know you and Liz. Your willingness to speak with us is greatly appreciated. Thank you to Matt Scafalos for being a part of the interview. Your insights as a reporter greatly enhanced our experience with you and the Falco family. I will include Matt's links to the show notes for the listeners to see the articles Matt has written. I would like to thank Riley and Nancy for all the hard work that they did on Liz's case. She would greatly appreciate your efforts. Thank you to Matthew Petit for returning and sharing his thoughts. And always thank you to my co-host, Ashland. You have made this show so much better since you joined me. The artwork for this podcast was created by former student Emma Holbert. The theme song, Cold Cases, by former student Jenna Brandt, who has several songs out on most music streaming media. At the end of this podcast, we will debut the new theme song for season three to come out this spring. The song is Believe Me by current student Alexa Dahl. Tune in next time when Caitlin Markham just disappears.
0: You have- you had